Welcome to VB Engage episode 25. My name is Stuart Rogers, I'm with VentureBeat, and as usual, I am joined by my companion here, the brilliant, the wonderful, the author of Digital Sense, it's Travis Wright. Travis, how are you doing, man? Mr. Stuart Rogers, I am doing incredibly well today, good sir. Thank you for asking. How are you, and where are you? Uh, I am doing incredibly well today, too. Um, I am currently in the little town of Tunbridge, uh, over in the southeast of the United Kingdom, but... Uh, I leave for a trip to L.A. and San Francisco tomorrow. Very nice. You are a Uh, jet setter, good sir. I am constantly in a tube of some description. Sometimes the tube has wheels. Sometimes the tube has wings. It's no wonder that my brain is toothpaste at this point. (laughs) Very nice. So while you still have some brain power left before your ginormous trip here, let us chat about the news. So uh, what's been interesting on your radar this week, Mr. Stewart? I picked up a, an exclusive, which was uh, which was kind of nice. Um, I really think this is very, very smart. We don't talk about this sort of thing very much. And uh, what it is, is it's a, a company called Checkout Apps. And what Checkout have done is they're using a combination of machine learning and understanding online retail sales, understanding offline retail sales, like the, you know, the actual in-store stuff. They're combining all of that. They're adding in mobile and mobile engagement. Um, Later on, they'll add in artificial intelligence. Uh, They're putting it all together with smart screens and interactive mirrors inside the stores. And what they're doing is they're recommending exactly the right products based on the machine learning and algorithms from the online store in store and in the right part of the store when you walk around. So they're actually pushing the right product based on uh, what's actually trending online. And then they're taking the in-store sales and they're feeding that back into the online store to make sure the online store is performing as well as is humanly possible. And all of this circles around into the mobile engagement part of it as well, which I think is absolutely fascinating. It is fascinating. And one of the things that, that really sort of took me back by this is that by having these sort of magic mirrors inside the store that you are able to try on virtually different clothes by just literally looking into the mirror and it will, you know, through augmented and mixed reality, put that new shirt or put the new sweater on you. One thing that's interesting is that the report said based after, after the, they completed the pilot in store time was increased by over 16%. So people are hanging out, They are testing out new things, and it actually gives retail brick-and-mortar places a reason for consumers to actually come in and see what you have because you can't experience this mobily on your own unless they have a mobile app that I could, you know, eventually probably they'll, they'll have one where I can just stand in front of it and it's going to show me different clothes that I can buy. And I know, I know actually when I was in uh, Shanghai at the uh, Huawei event, it's one of their internal projects that they're working on, sort of like their skunk work deal. And I was standing in front of a mirror and it was putting clothes on me, and I'm a kind of a big dude, and so, I mean, they were trying to put Chinese-sized clothes on me, so it didn't quite match up. <laughs> in the, It wasn't completely augmented, but uh, but it was really fascinating, and so I have some experience with seeing that, and I can see how, like, there was literally people standing in line waiting to, to try it out, so you could see at a store, people would be like, wow, check that out, that's awesome, get out of the way, I want to do it. So there's a, definitely some cool novelty to this. Yeah, I like it. And, you know, it's very smart. The, the system calculates the conversions in real time. And if it sees an in-store increase, 
then it will continue to present those items, right? But if something that is being shown in store isn't affecting the sales, it'll rotate various offers and it will do split tests on them to find out which one is the winner. Um, when it finds out the winner, it will use that data and it will actually rearrange the order of the items on the website, putting the hottest products first so that it increases sales there. I mean, you know, it's, it's really very smart. And, you know, I think that whole idea of bringing algorithms out from just the online part of the world and bringing it to the in-store part is really, really interesting. Uh, one other little thing that they've done, you know, just talking about mobile engagement as well, they've, you know, during the pilot, they, they used a, an SDK whereby they could implement a mobile app. Now, what uh, that did was it allowed the customers uh, to show, you know, interest. And when they're showing interest, they could be standing next to like an in-store digital screen. They would know which products they'd previously looked at on the smartphone and help them, you know, seek them out and show them where they are in store. They even went as far as developing a little platform to allow the shopper to click on an item of interest on the digital screen in store. And that will actually vibrate a smartwatch that the salesperson is wearing, tell them where in the store that customer is and just inform them that they might need some assistance so mm. they can go and help the customer out, right? Very nice. Minority Report is right around the corner, I guess, huh? This is pretty, pretty <laughs> fascinating. I thought it was pretty fascinating. Um, of course, it's not the only news this week. Yeah, we've had a couple of other really interesting uh, things happen. I mean, I know we talk about messaging apps quite a lot. You've heard of Line, of course. That is the largest sort of messenger platform that has evolved out of Tokyo, right? correct? They just had an but IPO, didn't they? A dual IPO. A dual IPO. That's, a, yeah. that's fancy. It's been interesting. I think Line has been, for me, a really good example of, of why that first-to-market advantage makes such a big difference. By anyone's terms, they've managed to gather a huge amount of users. Let's not be silly about it. They've got 220 million monthly active users at this point. 157 million of those are centralized in its main four markets, which are Japan, Taiwan, Thailand, and, and Indonesia. Um, but when you look at the active user numbers and the growth, it's been really slowing, and they're starting to flatline. <laughs> Do you see what I did there? It is. It's starting to look like Twitter growth. Yeah. And so what they've, what they've done this week is they've said, okay, we're going to partner up with another company, and we're going to focus now on enterprise messaging. So they've decided that they've gone as far as they can with consumer, and so they're bringing out enterprise messaging. But this is where that first mover advantage comes back in, right? How are they going to compete, Travis, with Slack? And how on earth are they going to compete with the fact that, you know, Facebook for Work has appeared on the scene recently? Surely it's another example of, of Line being too late to the party again. It would seem that that would be the case, right? And, you know, it's interesting to see when you're looking at their growth pattern and, and where they are and now, even though their growth has over the last, I mean, since Q1 of 2015, they literally haven't grown much at all. And so, and then they decide to go IPO after they've become a little stagnant. And now they're trying to get into the enterprise space after Facebook launches theirs. And so, it does seem like they're a little behind and they will be facing an uphill battle. Uh, it will be interesting to see, you know, if they are successful or if they are not. And if not, well, it will be the end of the line for line. They've struggled really, really hard to break into, you know, Western markets, specifically um, United States. Yeah, it didn't resonate with me. I mean, I've tested out. You know, WeChat and some of the other ones. I love WeChat. I think WeChat's great. I wish more people in, in America would adopt it because it's a fun platform. You can do so much with it. Line, to me, was just kind of, eh, 
it's a messenger kind of you know it didn't it doesn't have right. that extra pop that WeChat does in my opinion. They haven't really embraced the bot revolution, so they've only just made their uh, API accessible for that sort of thing. But there, mm-hmm. there hasn't really been anything launched in that space. This new market, um, you know, the new tools that are enterprise focused, they're going to make those available in Japan initially. Of course, it's where their biggest market is. You know, 62 million users there. But again, I just think it's uh, it's too late for them. So, you know, we're going to watch Lime with interest. Um, you know, it's part of this really interesting messaging as a platform space where we've got so many different solutions vying for that market opportunity and of course then you've got the chatbots and everything else that are vying for the mobile engagement piece with the consumer it's really interesting to watch this entire space but uh, you know line will keep a, a really close eye on because um, i'm just not sure i think uh, it's gonna struggle yeah it's interesting i mean i just want to do a, a quick comparison with facebook workplace right so with the facebook workplace for me you know, even though that it might be a great platform and, you know, I, my agency, we manage, you know, millions of dollars in paid social through Facebook, but I just don't want to talk to all my employees and all my business stuff on Facebook too, because I go to Facebook as like a place to get away from work. And then like, if you go there and you're getting all these work notifications too, oh my God, that's just not, this just doesn't seem awesome to me. So I try to stay away from work on Facebook as much as possible. And speaking of additional mobile apps this week, there's some pretty interesting stuff that 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 happened to pokemon go that everyone's talking about how it's dying myself included they had some pretty big numbers released this week Stuart. i've seen all of these uh, posts that everyone keeps throwing around saying hey look pokemon go is dead invariably these posts will include some kind of chart that makes it look like pokemon go has fallen off a cliff i kind of think they're a little bit like fox news charts um Oh, sorry. I'm not supposed to call it Fox News, am I? Let's just call it Fox. Let's let's drop the news bit from Fox. <laughs> yeah. um, but you know, when when Fox shows a chart, invariably, you know, you have to really, really look hard at the y-axis to see which number they're starting at and which number they're ending at, uh, because they they like to make things look much worse than they are until you actually look at the numbers. And, you know, those charts that I've been seeing thrown around are a very similar story. Yes, Pokemon Go has fallen off a cliff if you look at the charts um, in terms of monthly active users. But what's interesting is that, uh, you know, the casual users, the people who who might not have been mobile gamers in the first place, which made up a pretty big percentage Mm -hmm. according to um, the survey that uh, came out from Polefish that I reported on uh, a few weeks back, you know, those have gone away. Of course they have. But there is still such a huge base of absolute raving fans that Pokemon Go has become the fastest mobile game to hit $600 million in revenues. Mm-hmm. And when I say fastest, Travis, I'm saying two and a half times faster than Candy Crush Saga, five times faster than Puzzle and & Dragons, and more than 6.2 times faster than Clash of Clans. That's ridiculous. That is really fast. And so, I mean, a lot of people, I think myself included, view activity through the lens of what's happening here in America. And I've, whenever it first came out, I mean, I took my kids out. I, I've never played Pokemon. I didn't literally knew nothing about it, but my kids wanted to go play. So we would go to all these different places and all these di- where, where there was a congestion of Pokestops and whatnot. Tons and tons of people. Now there's like none. I, I don't see any people in those places, right? But what I also know is like in places like Singapore and some other of these countries, you know, in Asia that are just now sort of taken off, 
I'd be curious to see where that revenue is coming from. I would personally assume that in America it's died down, or at least the growth has stagnated. But there are so many passionate Pokemon fans that have been fans for decades or, or more, more than a decade, that are just so excited about this game. And so it would be, be really interesting. I know that we're going to um, Web Summit in a couple of weeks, and we, we may have the opportunity to chat with somebody there at Niantic, which could be a, which should be an interesting conversation. So, I mean, kudos to them for hitting $600 million in consumer spend. Uh, that's pretty impressive. You know, what this speaks to, Travis, is this entire mobile engagement piece that we keep talking about. Uh, because the thing that is helping them make that amount of money, even with just the raving fans that are left, which is still a lot of users, right? Let's let's not uh, make any bones about it. That's still a huge amount of people, is the time spent. Pokemon Go, if you compare it against the next 19 games, Pokemon Go is responsible for 45% of the time spent in games right right? that is impressive for q3 however that that is the month of july when it went took off like gangbusters so july august and september right now we're in october i guarantee you the q4 numbers on that it will fall off from that high high number there but it is impressive they had the most impressive quarter for a game ever and now that quarter is over let's see what they do moving forward i don't think they're going to be able to sustain anything near that i bet it takes them much much longer to get to a billion overall um, than it did to get from 500 million to 600 million because they hit 500 million i think in like august or something or yeah it's taken a while we'll definitely see but you know the, the, the lesson here is is if you can keep people in your game or in your app for long periods of time and there are in-app purchases that keep them there for even longer. You know, if they're compelled to stay in, in the game or stay in the app, that's the route to making money. It's it's all about engagement. Um, so, yeah, really, really interesting. So if you have just like an amazing brand just sitting on a shelf like Pokemon Go, maybe make a mobile app. You can. <laughs> <laughs> I just yeah, have just this extra really badass brand just sitting here waiting for an app, you know. Like, yeah, here we go. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll go check my shelves, see if there's anything sitting on there. Yeah, I don't happen hey. to have a Pokemon Go, you know, hanging out, unfortunately. <laughs> hey, Travis, um, you know, support from this podcast, uh, because we can't do this podcast without support, comes from MailChimp. Um, and more than 12 million people use MailChimp to communicate with their customers and promote their businesses. Um, when you connect your e-commerce store with a MailChimp account, You can create targeted campaigns, send abandoned cart messaging, and recommend products your customers will love. And when your customers are happy, they spend more money. And when they spend more money, you make more money. And when you make more money, well, yeah, you get it. So check out MailChimp. Send better email, sell more stuff. You can go to MailChimp.com to get more details. And now, of course, it's time for us to get into this week's guest. So let's just jump straight into that. All right, ladies and gentlemen, today we have with us Ray Bahari, and he is the VP Head of Marketing at Polefish. He is a mobile market research and consumer insights guy, and so this is going to be great. We're going to talk a lot about mobile, mobile marketing, and uh, all kinds of things around mobile. He's also an adjunct faculty member at NYU. He's a startup advisor. He is excellent. Ray, welcome to VB Engage, good sir. Thank you so much for having me. This is going to be great and awesome. I love this part of my day is getting to talk to folks like yourself. Oh, don't get ahead of yourself, Ray. We haven't even started yet. We might be complete disappointment. (laughs) 
Well, I'll expect a lot less than normal, and then That's I won't good. be disappointed. Please do lower That's your it. expectations. Yeah. Lower them. Always, always. You could, you could, you should probably tell your startups this: like under promise, over deliver, right? That's been my mantra for my entire life from age two. Except in my case, it's like under-promise, under-deliver, which, uh, you know, is disappointing, but uh, that's life. It's great to have you on, Bray. Thanks so much for joining us. Hey, listen, um, you know, I know you do a lot with startups. I I wanted to to get straight into that because I have, uh, this very day, been judging a bunch of startups uh, for the uh, the next Mass Challenge alumni. Um, You know, they have thousands of people who want to get into the Accelerator program and you know, get the benefit of working with those people. And uh, what they do is they do this massive uh, voting system which uh, goes across several rounds. Some of those are, you know, virtual. uh, And then today we get to, you know, sit in a room and see these people in the flesh, uh, sometimes in in 3D, like actually they're there, and sometimes via Skype. And um, we get to see a lot of these startups. And it occurs to me that in this world where you're pretty much – all of the customers that we're likely to want to get access to are on the smartphone all the time. It's always with them. It just occurs to me when I look at a lot of these startups that they're not gearing themselves up to attack the smartphone market from day one in terms of you know, just even simple things like the website being mobile, whether they've got an app or not, whether they've thought about that as an approach or not. You know, How important is it, do you think, now that uh, startups really have to be mobile first or possibly even mobile only. I'll take a phrase from the uh, the managing director at the NYU Startup Incubator. He said today, becoming an entrepreneur, running a startup, creating it, you know, getting an idea and trying to build the product has become the extracurricular activity of this decade, right? Um, people aren't into sports or television or entertainment. It's more, hey, I've got an idea. I want to solve a problem. How do I go about doing it? Because there's so many resources to be able to start that and do that on your own. So there's millions of ideas out there, millions of people who want to do it. And I think you bring an important point up of that. People get so focused on building that product and solving that problem, they kind of forget about the next step, which is, well, how am I going to reach that customer that may be interested in this or have that similar problem? You know, how do they want to receive information? You know, the data is out there that says, hey, most of us have our smartphone within reach 24 hours a day. And I'll throw this little anecdote out there. I was at one of these mobile conferences where uh, Gary Vaynerchuk got up to speak, and he actually asked the audience. And this, again, this is an audience of primarily mobile developers, mobile marketers, et cetera. But 200 people in the audience are, are thereabouts. And he said, hey, if it were medically possible and safe, would you actually have your smartphone implanted into your body? And people actually got up and raised their hands and said, yes, I would. And he says, you know, you're crazy, you're effing crazy, but I would too. And think about it. Why not? It it, it frees up a hand, right? Well, it it does free up a hand. I mean, I I have it in my bio, actually, that, you know, when the very first implant, wireless implant, uh, comes along from my medulla oblongata so that I can get wireless internet access directly into my brain, I'm actually going to be first in line for that. And, And I'll tell you why. It's my retirement plan. My retirement plan is based upon getting in on the beta for this before it becomes mainstream and known. And then whilst I have it, enter every single episode of Who Wants to Be a Millionaire and hope that Wikipedia is up to date that day. You may want to wait till the second gen, though, on that. I don't know. Imadula.2.0, maybe. <laughs> uh, if you wait for second gen, by then they'll have built a Faraday cage around the wall of the studios so that you can't get any signal. Yeah. I've thought this through. <laughs> 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 Clearly, you, you have a plan, and you're willing to donate your body to science. 
it is interesting that we, you know, we are that attached to our smartphones. And that does, you know, does tell us something, right? I mean, we have to be, as businesses, as entrepreneurs, we have to be going after the marketplace with a smartphone first or smartphone only mindset. What have you seen in terms of, of mobile data? You know, what else have you seen that sort of suggests that we need to we need to be thinking in these ways? The data from Mary Meeker that comes out yearly, all of her predictions have come true uh, in terms of how much we access the internet, you know, on a smartphone versus anything else. And if you think about just the rapid pace of technology, two years ago, you know, there were lines outside of the Apple store blocks long here in New York City for the iPhone 4. Now, I couldn't even give that away. It's not even a paperweight. And so that's just the rapid pace of technology. Companies are driving it, but the audiences, the consumers, the people who, who use these devices are really the ones who are so enamored with it that you know, we can't live without it. We joke about it or we see the commercials where people will take a phone and you know, d- destroy it and, and just watch the, you know, the reactions that people have. But it really truly is has, you know, I don't think that I can't think of any other technology that in such a short period of time has become so ubiquitous and intertwined and become really part of the fabric of our lives. I used to actually talk about mobile only or mobile first. I think you've got to think a little bit different and think customer first because the customers and their journey, they change, right? And Stuart, you and I have talked about this before. People aren't just on one device, not even two. Sometimes you're on three different things or maybe even four when you think about, you know, television and tablets and phones and your Fitbit type devices or, or things like that, you have a plethora of information and, and appliances, if you will, to give you that tailored sort of experience, whatever you want, whatever you want, whenever you want, wherever you want it. And that's the way companies need to think. Mm-hmm. We had a great interview with uh, Brian Solis on episode 12 where uh, we were talking about some of those things. So that, that, that brings up a question now. So, so you're a consultant, or you, you actually advise a lot of different startups, and you're also you know, you know, an adjunct professor at NYU. When you're working with a startup, and they're maybe launching a mobile app or you know, trying to, to, to bring forth something in the mobile space, you know, what are some of the key findings that you've learned from some of your research? And you know, Because launching a mobile app, there's a whole lot of things you need to do. I actually was was mapping it out for one of my clients, and I came up with at least 150 different checklist items of things to consider. And so if you were coming in and you only had just a little bit of time to, to tell a, a, a developer who's getting ready to launch an app some advice, what, what are some of the things you might give him or her? It's starting with understanding the customer and their journey. And I think, you know, you mentioned Brian, and I, and I quote his stuff and use his stuff all the time just because he's a hell of a lot smarter than I am. But he talks about marketing in context, right? He talks about understanding who you're marketing to, what their preferences are, what their values are, and their intention, right? So a lot of marketers think about personas and what that means, where they came from. That's all fine and dandy. You can have multiple personas, but they all might have the same what we call job to be done. And so really understanding what their intention is. So I'm a customer who wants to do this to get this benefit, right? It gets down to the basics of development. What is the user story? What is the problem they're trying to solve? And Brian goes on to talk about, you know, again, understanding the state or stage that they're in, whether it be emotional or in the buying cycle. What are their expectations? How do they want to be served? What sort of content? 
time and place. And then, you know, screen type is probably maybe the last thing. But this all kind of ties around the idea of user experience. You know, what problem are you trying to solve? How are you going to do it differently than anybody else? And how are you going to delight people in such a way that they never want to go back to the alternative? I think that's the mindset that any developer or startup or entrepreneur needs to have of how do I serve my customers better than than the next guy? That's actually really interesting, Ben, because that brings up another little point, which is what you're talking about there is very obvious to me because I'm very, very old, Ray. I'm going to be 147 next year. And, you know, because I'm old, I remember the way that we used to do marketing. And what you've described there is very much the way we used to do marketing. Do you think that we've lost some of that good old-fashioned marketing sense of understanding who our customer is, understanding the customer journey, understanding why they want or need what we have to offer in the first place and then building around that. Because, you know, these days, as far as marketers are concerned, we're just a bunch of magpies always going after the shiny new object. It's like, you know, instead of figuring out who the customer is and how to get to them, it's like, hey, we've got to use Snapchat because it's the latest thing. I don't think the basics of marketing have changed. You know, we sort of invented this maybe 100 years ago, the, the concept of market research and, and understanding, you know, who my customer is, what do they want, how can I serve them? You know, the three sort of tenets that I like to talk about of, of how we used to build brands was if you think of the Venn diagram of, hey, you got to know who your customer is, you got to know who your competitor is, and you got to know what your core competency is. There's a fourth piece to this that I think in this you know, new age of marketing that has really come to the forefront and become even more critical than ever. And that last C is called creativity. And that's where I think people can really differentiate. And you just look at the basics of brand building and it's understanding, again, your positioning, who you are, what you do, for whom, understanding your purpose, right? What does your brand stand for? Why do customers come to us? Um, you know, does your marketing support that? And ultimately, it's about providing value, right? Are we helping people along the way? But the last piece that's perhaps most important is what's your personality, right? How are you going to talk to people? Are you going to be very technical or are you going to be very street? Or are you going to be somewhere in between? And I think what's been so cool to watch and see over the, the past couple of years, maybe even a couple of decades, is just the way that's all evolved, in that technology is now enabled to do the things that we never thought possible and do them really fast, really quickly, and really at scale, right? Really wide. The ultimate thing that people want, in my opinion, is they want a better experience, right? It's got to be personalized. It's got to be relevant. It's got to be compelling. And that's the true mark of, of a great marketing program, product, or campaign. Yeah, great stuff. I have a question around, because you work with Polefish, and you guys are, are, are doing a lot of really interesting mobile survey type of stuff over there. And so I've been at conferences where, you know, they're asking us, they're, they're polling the audience in real time. And next thing you know, within like a minute, they have 150 to 200 responses right there. What are some of the things that people might want to consider around using mobile devices as, you know, market research? Because it seems to me to be a really interesting, an interesting way because I, nobody wants to do a 150 question survey on their desktop. They certainly probably don't want to do that on mobile. So how is that different? And how can marketers utilize mobile surveys for research for their business. You're right. Nobody wants to answer a 60, 80, 100 question survey. People get fatigued, right? Or they'll speed through the answers. You just The data you get is not going to be good. 
So we try to be respectful of people's time. We try to find them where they are because you know a lot of people spend a lot of time in apps. So let's deliver that in app. You know, we had a comment from somebody who said, "You know what? I like this idea of of doing a survey in an app um, to get you know instead of a like for example an ad because instead of telling me what I want, you're asking me what I want." And that's an important concept to embrace is that way back when advertising was in print, we saturated, right? Uh, advertising went to radio, we inundated, right? Advertising went on TV and we just obliterated it. And then advertising went to the internet and, oh gosh, I mean, we became blind because of it. Let's hope that we're smart enough as markers not to repeat that mistake again and again and again and do it on mobile. So by Capturing people in their moment, such as you at the conference, or maybe the shopper at a grocery store, or somebody who's just in a particular app, and that that app publisher wants to find out more information about their experience or what other things they like to do, that's a powerful time to capture somebody, especially when it's anonymous versus the other ways of, of getting market research. I'm not saying that they're, you should throw them out, but this is truly a new way to embrace and engage users since they, it is such an intimate device. You think about the mobile phone. It's really the only device I can think of that every single time you pick it up, you're going to take an action. And that's a powerful frame of mind to capture somebody in. Now, eventually, I think market research is going to evolve away or, or evolve from the mobile phone and go into stuff like wearables or IoT, Right. Pretty soon, you know, your Fitbit device or, or you know, your wearable device will, will be able to check your heart rate or maybe even your brain waves and tell the marketer, yeah, when they looked at this particular item on the shelf, they prefer this one better. Or when they saw this magazine out of this particular model, they like that one better. And that, you know, we have the bio data to prove it. And eventually, I think it's going to get to the point where, you know, IoT devices, your fridge will ask you, did you like that type of beer or did you like this type of beer better and you'll be able to respond so you won't even have the intervention of a human i think Stuart's gonna have to watch out for that i oblongata app he's gonna have in his head i think he needs to think that through a little more clearly <laughs> yeah i think of all the uh, marketing information i really feel that is where we're going but at the same time i also really feel that nobody upon nobody really wants an internet connected fridge we've been trying to sell that for years and nobody's bought into it just yet so uh you know, I'm not convinced on the internet-connected fridge, but I am convinced on the other things. Um, hey, look, I, I just took a mobile poll, and it said that we would like to talk to Ray for hours upon end. But we can't do that because it's only a short podcast. So, Ray, I'm afraid we're going to have to ignore the poll, and we're going to have to say thank you so very, very much for being with us on VB Engage today. Thank you so much for having me. We had a wonderful time and, and really enjoyed exploring the, the topic with you. Good stuff. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much to Ray Beharry. That was a fascinating, fascinating interview there. If you missed last week's episode, we had Mark Gramezian with us. He's the CEO of AppBoy, and we talked about mobile marketing optimization and mobile marketing automation and CRM. It was really fascinating. So if you are in the market to build an app or working on an app or have your own app, you know, that's something you want to check into. And next week, make sure to tune in because we have Matt Acey with us. Uh, He's with Adobe, and we talk about some pretty amazing stuff uh, with the Adobe Marketing Cloud and the and their technologies they have over there. So make sure to tune into that. That is a phenomenal interview. Lots of 
Lots of valuable information in that one. You're going to want to tune into that. And again, thank you so much to our sponsor, MailChimp. Without MailChimp, none of this would be possible. So with them, you will be able to send better email and sell more stuff. And that is what you want. So for Travis Wright on episode 25, goodbye. And for Stuart Rogers, it's Zai Jian.